Good evening. If you guys are uh, new here, welcome to Calvary Chapel Running Springs. My name is Giovanni, and I have the uh, honor to share the word with you tonight. And then you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9. You guys are excited that we've been going through Ezekiel and just all the teachings and everything, right? It's a scary book, but once you go through it together, it makes it all that better. It makes it all that better. So we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 9 tonight. Um, and so how many of you guys enjoy flying? And I'm not talking about the fancy of you guys who know how to fly and fly your own planes. It's too fancy for me. Uh, I'm talking about the going through the airlines and all that stuff. How many of you guys enjoy that, traveling through that? How many of you guys enjoy the security that you have to go through nowadays to be able to get to the, to the airport? What is it now, six hours we, you got to be ahead of time, right? LAX, eight hours or the day before? <laughs> so uh, recently I had uh, the joy of flying to Honduras with my wife, and uh, it was an awesome experience. It was a short amount of time, but it was an awesome experience. And so as we... Uh, <clears throat> We're going through um, the security checkpoints and everything. We had a stop in El Salvador. Let me tell you, if you hate security in the United States, it makes it look like a vacation. (laughs) So we we got off the plane in El Salvador. It was only a stop for, I think it was two hours or something like that. And we got off in El Salvador, and uh, we, you know, there's little stores. But in El Salvador, they have like these um, plexiglass cages around every one of the I, I shouldn't call them cages, you know, it's probably not a good word to use, but they're, they're surrounding the waiting areas, right? So in order for you to get into your um, waiting area, you have to go through the security. Um, and so we, we, seeing the security, we asked uh, somebody at one of the stores, because we're really thirsty, um, and we asked somebody at the store if we could, uh, if we could take water in at least, you know, a water bottle. And they said, yeah, yeah, go ahead, you, you can take it in. So we get to the security because we have to go into our flight and wait there, and uh, they tell us no water. So of course, we do what everybody does, and we just drink the whole water, right? So the, the whole ride, you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but um, of course, if you have a small bladder like me. Um, but it was interesting because we went through the security, and uh, mind you, we had already been searching the United States, and uh, they don't really let anything through in the United States. And as we're going through the security, um, they, they start searching our stuff. And I asked the lady, why, why are you searching us again? We, already, we were already searched. And she gave me like this death. Like she couldn't believe what I was asking. Like I guess nobody asked it before. <laughs> but um, as they're, they're searching our stuff, going through our stuff, throwing out stuff that we can't take, whatever, which I don't know why. Um, then she takes out the wand and the gloves. <laughs> it's not what you thought. <laughs> um, but they, they, they search my wife first, and it's, it's this young lady, right? But there's also some guys there. They search my wife first, and uh, I was glad it was a young lady. If not, I would have probably had to have been saved again if it was a young man searching my wife. Right, arrested in El Salvador. <laughs> but um, they search my wife and whatever, and they say, okay, you're good. And then uh, they search me, which weirdly enough, it was a lady that was searching me. Um, but um, they. 
probably. I, I didn't ask her. I, I didn't dare to ask because she could have killed us both. But point being, you know, we, we go through this, this search, right? And, and no matter how many things they took out of our bags, how much they looked at our passport, how much uh, they searched our pockets and everything, no matter how much that happened, they only searched us, right? They really knew nothing about us, right? They knew nothing about us. And, and, and so they, they do the search and they see all these things, but they know nothing about us, right? And so the reason I bring this up is because there's a difference between searching and knowing, right? Searching and knowing. Last week, Matthew, at the end of the chapter um, 8, he ended with the verse from Psalm 139, 23, uh, the first part, right? 8, um, if you want to call it that. And he, and he said that we're to have hearts that say, search me, right? Search me, O God. And so all of verse 8 was God searching the nation of Israel, right? He searched and he searched and he searched. And what happened? They were found wanting, right? Those are scary words, by the way. Those are uh, uh, book of Revelation type of words. Like you, 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 the Lord searched you, your heart, and you were found wanting are not words anybody wants to hear, right? And so... Um, where Matthew, and in chapter 8, he uses this word search, I want to take it a step further because I think what really defines, what really defines chapter 10 is, or 10, 9, <laughs> definitely not chapter 10, completely different. Uh, what defines chapter 9 is, is the second part of that verse, right? The second part of that verse. And if you guys know that verse or want to turn to it, that's fine. It's uh, Psalm 139, 23, right? Um, but it says, search me, O God, right, and know my heart, and know my heart. Because there's a difference between searching and knowing, right? And how many of you guys know and are grateful and, and give glory to God that he is a God that doesn't only search us, but he wants to know us, right? He wants to know us. And um, now that I heard amens and nods and yes, to the next part of this, right? But knowing us means that what's there can't stay, right? And so in chapter 9, what we're going to see is that the Israelites have been searched and they were found wanting. But now the Lord is going to know them intimately because when the Lord knows, knows them intimately, what happens is what it says in chapter 8 that Pastor Adam finished, sorry, 7 that Pastor Adam finished, 27. I will do to them according to their way and according to what they deserve, I will judge them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, right? That I am the Lord. And so the steps that God takes to know us is not steps to condemn us, but rather steps to know us that he, we may know him. Because he always takes the first step. He always takes the first step. And so what we're going to see in this chapter is exactly that. Why does he want to know us? I'm going to take it a step further. Why does he want to, to know us? He wants to know us because he wants to transform us. The nation of Israel 
was supposed to be a nation that transformed other nations, right? They were supposed to be the example of that. And time and time again, they failed. And God, here what's going to happen in this, in this chapter is that the presence... Sorry, my mouth is extra dry, I don't know why. But the presence of God or the glory of God is going to begin to strategically move out of the temple, Right? Like we all hear that the, the, the glory of God, the presence of God left the temple, right? We know that historically, right? It left the temple and never came back. But what, what I want to tell you today is that God didn't just leave the temple because people were evil and people were wicked, right? Because what we see here is that God's going to move strategically, right? And, and, and it doesn't only happen here in Ezekiel. If you think about the presence of God, the glory of God, we think of the, about the presence of God in Genesis, right? He was this presence in the garden. And what happens? The Adam and Eve get kicked out, right? And then he moves from there. And I'm going to fast forward because we could give so many examples, but we think of uh, um, the glory of God or, or the presence of God in the burning bush, right? the burning bush. And then it changes, right? What happens in, when, when the uh, Israelites are fleeing Egypt, what is, in what form is God presenting himself? Right? A cloud of fire. And then through the wilderness, we see that cloud follow them. And then eventually it sets on the tabernacle, right? The tent. And, and, and his presence dwells in the tent and also dwells above it. And every time the, the, the cloud would move, they would move. If the cloud didn't move, then they would stay. And then continuing on, here we see in Ezekiel that he's dwelling in the temple, right? The Ark of the Covenant is there. He's dwelling in between the cherubim. But what I see in chapter 9 is that the Israelites have gotten to a place where they're done with this phase in their walk with God. And it's time to trim, not so that they could be destroyed and utterly uh, uh, taken out, I guess, but rather so that they could move to the next phase. But it, this is the beginning of that. In order for the nation of Israel to be able to transform other nations by who they were in God, the transformation needs to start, start with them first. And in the same way, in order for the Lord to be able to transform nations through us, the transformation needs to start here. And as we see in chapter 9, the transformation starts in the temple. God says, this is no longer working anymore, right? This is no longer working. You guys imagine what would have happened if the Lord would have just said, oh, I'm just going to continue and wait for the Israelites to move on. We would still be giving sacrifices, right? Everybody be here with their uh, goats and their sheep and whatever it may be, right? That's how it would be, right? That was in the time of Jesus. How many of you guys know that? God is too powerful, too mighty, too awesome. And, and you fill in the blank to just leave us there. But what did he do? His glory came in the form of Jesus Christ, right? In the form of Jesus Christ, the Savior. And not only that, the temple now in this time that we're in is our bodies. And one day it's going to be a heavenly body, right? It's going to be the next phase where we're going to be made perfect, isn't that awesome? That's something we should have joy about and worship and should, should drive us through life to, 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 to draw near to God because that's what we have coming 
to us. But before that could happen, before we can move to the next phase, we need to look at chapter 9. Because there's things in us, there's things in me that the Lord needs to cut, cut off, that the Lord needs to slain. Because it doesn't have his mark on it. It doesn't have his name on it. But that needs to happen before we move on to the next thing. So let's get into this chapter. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for, um, we thank you for the heat, Lord. We know that it makes us sweat. It makes us all kinds of uh, um, angry sometimes or whatever may be frustrated. But Lord, even uh, the heat, Lord, you have a purpose for it. And so tonight, Lord, as we look at your word, I pray that we may know in our hearts that you have a purpose for our lives, not only for this church, Lord, but for this nation and for other nations alike, Lord. And so we just ask, Lord, that you may cut away at the things that need to be cut away, that, that, that you may do the work that you need to do and that we may allow it because you're not a God pushes, Lord. You're not a God who invades, but rather a God who loves us and, and just wants to be invited in. And so, Lord, tonight, I pray that, that, that we invite you in to what you're doing here, Lord, not because I'm here up here speaking, Lord, but because you want to do something in our hearts and in this church, Lord, and in this nation. And so, Lord, pour your spirit on, onto us, Lord, that we may be who you want us to be. And we may do what you want us to do. So Lord, bless your word and that your word may be that sword, the two-edged sword, Lord, in us. And we welcome it, Lord. In your name, amen. Okay, so the teaching for, ten, the, the title for tonight, sorry, I forgot to say it, is uh, Transform National. Transform National. And so, um, it's basically the, the word of transformation and uh, transformation of nations, right? Because the Lord does the work in us, not so that we can feel good about ourselves, but rather he does the work in us so that he can transform the nations around us, right? And that looks different for everybody, but it's transformational. And I don't know if you would say national, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't sound the same. <laughs> All right, well, let's get going because that intro is long, huh? All right, chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a, uh, a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate. So remember, the upper gate, the northern gate, which is what he's going to say, I cut it off too early, is where the kings used to walk into, right? So the kings used to walk in through there. And so basically, um, Matthew was kind of going over there last, over last time. And so um, also there were uh, idols and, and the, the idol of jealousy and all these other things, right, that, that, that uh, were not good things in the temple. Because in the temple, when God instructed there to be things in the temple, which is interesting, right, he gives... The uh, uh, specific direction, right? Because what do we like to do as human beings uh, when we have a room, right? It's too empty. We need to add something. 
And then, uh, of course, up here in the mountain, everybody puts their, their nice furniture out in front of their lawn, right, and say, take it, it's free. And we're like, hey, we might, we might be able to use that, right? And, and so what happens when, as human beings, we, we like to gather stuff, right? And we like to put more stuff in than we should really have. But it's really interesting because the Lord gives specific instructions of how it's going to look and what it's going to look, what it's going to look like and also what's going to be in it, Right? Was there supposed to be idols in the temple or the courtyard? Absolutely not, right? There wasn't, but nowhere in the Bible will you find that, right? There wasn't supposed to be anything really. Um, most of the stuff, if anything, was inside the temple where the priests would go in. And everything in the temple had a use, right? Had a use. But we see that they walk in through the upper gate and it says, which faces north, each with his battle axe in hand. One among them was clothed with the linen, with linen, and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. So first thing here, the, the six men, there's a debate whether it was six or seven, right? Six, biblically, according to all the numbers that are used, doesn't really make sense, right? Because the seven is the number of perfection, and seven is the number that, uh, or is known as perfection, and seven is the number that is used a lot in the Bible. But here we see it says six men. So some people argue that it's actually seven men with this guy with the inkhorn, right? I'll tell you what the inkhorn is right now. Um, but um, it really doesn't matter whether it's six or seven. The point is, is that there's men, and among these men, there's um, one with an inkhorn, right? Now, if you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it'll tell you that, um, verses 7 through 8, it'll tell you that these men are angels, right? Because 2 Thessalonians, or the book of the Thessalonians, is really a book that explains a lot of the prophecies and, and, and even takes it a step further and explains things that are going to happen in Revelation, stuff like that, right? The end of days and everything. And so what we see there is that these are actually angels, right? And I don't know exactly why, but a lot of people refer to the, the one with the inkhorn as the Holy Spirit, right? As the Holy Spirit. And so it, it's not that I don't know why. I actually looked more into it because I was wondering, well, why is everybody saying all the commentators saying that this is the Holy Spirit, the one with the inkhorn? Well, the inkhorn used to be a tool uh, that the Babylonians used, and then later it was used by Egypt and so on and so on, many nations. And basically in the, the version that I have in the KJV, it's very simple when it says inkhorn. But this was a writing tool is what it was. But with this writing tool also went a booklet. Also went a booklet. And that's what other translations will tell you, that this translation doesn't. And so when I think about a booklet, I think about the book of life, right? The book of life because of, of what he is about to do, right? And because of where they're standing. So you think about this inkhorn and this booklet and the writing and what the, where these men are standing and begins to make sense that this could be the Holy Spirit, that this is the Holy Spirit. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is the one that's to seal those who are his, right? For salvation, because when we all stand before God, the white throne of judgment, right? What's going to happen is that the book is going to open. Whoever's not in it is thrown into the lake of fire, right? And whoever is on it is, is basically belongs to God and, and, and is, is welcome into heaven, right? There's no St. Peter or St. Jude or, that could save you at that point. 
right? This is why it's so important that, 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 that we are um, gospel-driven and gospel-spoken. Because it doesn't matter whether a person is for or against uh, our culture or a person is for or against whatever it is, you know? The, the, what matters is, are they, do their hearts belong to God? That's what's important. Right? Do their hearts belong to God? Every time I look at a person, and whether they, they, they are at church or anywhere else, I always say, do their hearts belong to God? I say that to myself because it makes, reminds me of where I was and where I am now, where the Lord has taken me, right? What the Lord has done with my heart. And so here, these men, I'm going on a rant, but these men are standing by the bronze altar. And bronze, in the Bible, what it rep- represents is basically righteous judgment of God is what it represents. And so we see that these men come in and they're standing by the bronze altar and they have axes and there's one man who has this writing tool, right? And so you could only wonder what happens next, right? And so this is what happens next in verse three. Now the glory of God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. So, Stop there real quick because I'm just going to make a pit stop here. So basically what's happening there is that the glory of God that sits between the cherubim or the cherub really because it's uh, plural and, um, and singular um, what, that sits there is beginning to move. And this is what I was kind of mentioning earlier about the, the glory of God that it's, it, it never moves. Uh, I mean, when it comes to transformation, it doesn't move uh, um, at the snap of fingers. It doesn't move irrationally or, you know, just quickly. Um, and one example is Saul, right? Saul is with the army. Samuel tells them, do not give the sacrifice until I get here. And so Saul's not coming. The, the army is getting anxious. The, the, the other army is beginning to push on them. And what does Saul do? He listened, this is what the Bible says. He listened to the people, right? He listened to the people. That's why we should never listen to the people, right? What is God telling us? Because every time we listen to the people, we're going we're gonna to be wrong, right? Now, obviously, there's wise counsel. There's those who will give you wise counsel. But you should always take it before the Lord. Because how do you know that that person is telling you the truth or not, Right? And so what we see is that Saul get, does the sacrifice because he listens to the people. And Samuel, right as he does the sacrifice, then Samuel comes. He says, what did you do? Because of this, the Lord has taken his spirit from you. And he does. He takes his glory from him right then and there. But this is different. Here what we see is that he doesn't, ju- he doesn't just pull the spirit from the temple, but rather the, the, the glory of God begins to move. And when, he, when it comes to transformation, the glory of God is going to move um, um, strategically. And, and uh, um, some commentators say that uh, it's going to take five steps for the glory of God to eventually leave the temple. And uh, we'll see that in the next chapters. Um, but here we see that... Um, that it begins to move. And then in continuing that verse, it says, And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. That are done within it. So 
here we see the function of the man with the inkhorn, right? With the bookland inkhorn. He's going to go and put a mark on the heads, uh, on the foreheads of the people, of these people, right? Not to be confused with the mark of the beast, right? That's completely different. This is, this is a different occasion. And what it really represents here is, is, is like the Passover, if you think about it. They put a mark on the threshold of the door, and every time death came, it went over that, and it didn't kill the family, right? And it's the same thing here, the same concept here. Except here, they go a little bit more into de- detail, right? Because it says, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who, and here I want to put dot, 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 right? What does dot, dot, dot mean when you see that? There's something more, right? There's something more coming. Because I think it's important to see this as, as a church, right? Um, and knowing who our God is, it's important to see because notice that, that the, the men that are getting the mark on their foreheads are not, are not the prestigious, right? It's not because they were great preachers. It's not because they have a great job or because they take care of their family or because they're, they're great whatever, Right? But rather, the reason they're getting a mark is because they sigh and cry. How many of you guys like to sigh and cry? Anybody? All right. Yeah, me too. My wife tells me all the time. If you don't like, get a wife and she'll tell you all the time. Why are you sighing? What are you sad about? Right? She doesn't yell at me. She speaks nicely. Wow. Okay. I see you, church. Um... But right, a, a sigh is a sign of like, there's discomfort in the heart, right? There's something not right there. Something needs to happen. That's what a sigh is, right? And then, and then you see this, this, this cry that follows the, this sigh, right? It's like a crying, right? And it's not crying because they didn't get the latest model car or their car broke down or their job or whatever it may be, right? It's not because of that. The reason that they're sighing and crying is because of the abominations that are done within the temple. The abominations are done within the temple. Can you imagine if that was us about the temple of God? I'm not talking about the church, not the building. I'm talking about the temple of God, our bodies. Like what's in here, right? So important to ask the Lord to search us. So important to ask the Lord to know our heart because we have to know what's in here. And when we know what's in there, then our response should be one of sigh and cry. And if you don't sigh and cry when you see what's in your heart, you gotta ask yourself the question, Lord, what's going on with me? Because it doesn't matter who we are, right? It doesn't matter how, if you're the pastor, if you're, if you're the guy giving communion, right? The Bible says that we're all sinners, that we're all imperfect, that there's no one that can measure up to, uh, uh, to Christ. Right? He was perfect, but we're not. And we see that these men, the reason they're getting the mark is because they sigh and cry. And more importantly, what if the nation of Israel would have taken that approach earlier, but not only earlier, but for other nations, right? For the nations around them. What would have been the result of that, right? What would have been the result of that? I think it would have been something different because when you look at something in, 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 in that light, 
you no longer want to judge it. You no longer want to point a finger, right? I mean, Pastor Adam said you shouldn't point a finger because you got three pointing at you anyway, so, right? But rather, when, when, when you look at them in that light, in the light that Christ sees them, right? Then, then what happens is transformation happens here. And not because, because we sigh and cry or because it's us, because the Lord sees our heart. And he says, they, they should have my mark. They're the men and women that are going to have my mark and put their names in the book of life, right? And, and I, I, I want to just give a small warning. This, is, this doesn't mean that our hearts are not, we're not going to have seasons where our hearts are hard. I've had a hard heart before, and the Lord knows it. But if that's been your heart your whole life, then something needs to change. And that something is your heart. You need to allow the Lord to know you so that you know him. But here, continuing on, in verse 5, we see that it says, To the others... Is the others, the ones not with the mark, not in the book. He said, in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Begin at my sanctuary. So three things here. First, he says, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Every single one of those, those, those persons, those Israelites, they chose. And they chose to worship their idols. They chose to keep close to God. They chose their destiny. So he says, utterly slay. Utterly slay. And as sad as this may seem, as, as sad as they may look, it is the grace of God ultimately that allowed them to get to this point, right, as a nation. Because he could have done it from the beginning. And secondly, here we see that it says, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark. He, says, he doesn't even say don't touch them, right? There's a difference between don't touch them. Like you still kind of taunt them and whatever, right? When somebody says don't touch them, little kids, you know, don't touch your brother or sister, but then they're making faces at them, and then you have a little kid crying, ah. Right? I don't have kids, but I've been around enough kids that I know that, that you've got to be specific, right? And so we see here that he says, do not come near anyone. He says, don't even go near them. This is the mark. This is the mark that we bear. Where when the Lord says, do not come near anyone, he means don't even get close to them. And when this time comes, that's how it's going to be. And, and lastly here, it, it, it starts in the sanctuary. It starts in the sanctuary. I know a lot of us pray and get on our knees and even fast. That judgment will start at the White House. That judgment will start with other nations, right? That judgment will start with politicians. But let me tell you something. It doesn't start there. It starts here. And it starts here. Because those politicians, those people in the world, they're being who they are. 
they're fallen. They don't know the Lord. They're being who they are, exactly are. But we, we know better, right? We know better because Christ lives in us, because Christ died for us, because Christ extended his grace and mercy when we didn't deserve it. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't deserve his mercy, his grace, or anything of that, right? And I say with joy because I stand here now and the Lord has given me that grace and extended that to me. But I guarantee you I didn't feel like that before. I was being who I was. But the Lord extended that to me. And his judgment really starts here in the heart. That's where it needs to start. Because in order for the Lord to transform nations through us, for our politics, for other nations, and anything else in between for that to change, then this needs to change first. This needs to change first. In order for things to change in my household as a husband, then my heart needs to change first. Right? That's why, that's why in uh, um, Ephesians, it says to love your wife, right? And then to the wife, submit to your husband, right? But it says first, love your wife. It doesn't say because of whatever or whatever she does good or whatever she does, the, the, the rice is overcooked or not overcooked, right? It, it, it's like he says love her, right? That means that it starts here first, right? It starts here. And so we see that that's what it says here in continuing on. It says, so they begin began with the elders who were before the temple. Then he said to them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out, and they went out and killed in the city. So in verse 8 it says, so it was that while they were killing them, I was left alone, and I fell on my face and cried out and said, ah. Actually, he probably said it in a different way. I just don't want to. My throat is dry as it is. He says, ah, Lord, God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel and pouring out your fury on Jerusalem? Pouring out your fury on Jerusalem. And it makes me think of Abraham. Do you guys remember Abraham when they were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And and he, well, one, he knew his his, uh, nephew Lot was there, right, with his family. But what it, what's his heart? Does he say, well, he chose that line and he went into Sodom and Gomorrah and now he's living this way. And I was over there last weekend. Let me tell you, little Timmy, actually had daughters, right? <laughs> little Jenny. I mean, in Sodom and Gomorrah, it might have been the opposite. But little Jenny, she's, she's not doing well. Right? That wasn't his heart. And I love Abraham's heart. Because one, he approaches God with rem, rev, reverence and humility, right? He doesn't say, Lord, why are you going to destroy him? What do you know, right? What do you know? But rather he comes to the Lord and he says, ah, Lord, if you just may allow me to, to, to say something. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. If there's 50 righteous, will you still destroy? If there's 50 righteous, will you destroy? He says, No. And then I love Abraham. He's like a child there because he begins to calm down by like five, ten, whatever. He just keeps going down the line, right? Why? Because he knows there's not 50 righteous there. He knows there's not 35 righteous there. He knows there's not 10 righteous there is where he ends up, right? And so what does the Lord do? He destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Not to be mean to Abraham, but because that's the judgment that was coming. But... Abraham's heart was there, 
And what happens? Lot is pulled out with his family and even his wife. The Lord knew her heart. The Lord knew she was going to look back, right? And she looks back and she, she turns into, um, yeah, salt. There you go. I, I couldn't find the word. Right? I could just see the image. Like, if I could just describe the, the image, right? You guys get me. Right? Because the Lord knew her heart. But I love Ezekiel's heart here because I don't know if he's there in person or he's there in vision. But the point is that he, they step away to do what they're going to do. That he just hears it. He doesn't even see it. And he says, oh, Lord, you're going to destroy all of them. Right? And so... In verse 9, he says, Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed, and the city full of perversity. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. And as for me also, my eye will neither spare, nor will I have pity, but I will recompense their deeds on their own head. And so we see here that he's basically saying, repeating what they said. Right? What, what, the, the way they were living, right? The Lord doesn't see, right? The Lord can't see and He can't hear what we're doing. They had gotten to a point where they truly believed because God had not stepped in and, and stopped them in their tracks, per se, right? That God wasn't hearing, God wasn't listening. But how many of you guys know that our God is omnipresent? He's everywhere. And, and, and for those of us who know him personally, he's indwelling, right? Emmanuel, God with us, right, right here, right? Well, I don't know if he's here or here, but he's somewhere in there, right? And so, so what it says, what it says here is that God was repeating to them the way they were living. It's like, yes, I am going to destroy them because of this. Because this is the way they're living. And without me intervening, there's not going to be anything, there's not going to be a transformation of the nation, right? And it reminds me of the wheat and tares, right? Where at some point the Lord will bring judgment and the, and, and the tares, right, will be pulled out and the wheat will, will remain because those are the ones with the mark of God. And, and they will continue on because they allowed themselves to be transformed and used to transform nations. And then finishing here, <clears throat> In verse 11, it says, Just then the man clothed with linen who had the inkhorn at his side reported back and said, I have done as you commanded me. I thought it was really fast because it's only a short chapter, but he did what the Lord told him to do, right? He did what God asked him to do. He went throughout the temple. He went throughout the nation of Israel and he placed a mark and he said, and he came back and said, I have done everything that you asked me to do. I have done everything that you asked me to do. And so as we read this text and we see that these men have come to slain the wicked and to do things in the temple to, to I don't want to call it cleansing, but to transform it is really what, what it, it's like movers coming in. It's like it's time to move on and be transformed. Um, we see that the glory of God moves, right? We, we, we see that the heart that we should have is one of, uh, of uh, a heart of, of pain. And I want to end with these three things that, we could, that I saw that we could probably apply to our lives, right? Because there's one thing to tell the Lord to search us. 
but there's another to let to tell the Lord, know my heart, right? There's entry levels, right? Search me means, Lord, you can come in and you can look around, you know, and point things out. But when you tell the Lord, know my heart, that's completely different. That's a different level of, of, of uh, intimacy with the Lord. And this is where he's coming from with the Israelites. Because remember, he was doing this not to utterly destroy them. And as Paul would say later, that the, they, they're not lost or left, but rather they're going to be grafted in, right? Um, what we see is that he's doing it for transformation because his plan still stands, and uh, his plan stands that they are going to be the nation that transforms other nations. And I think that's the same thing that the Lord has for us. But there's three things that how we can, um, how we can place ourselves in a position that I saw here, that place ourselves in a position for the Lord to know our hearts, for the Lord to know our hearts. And the first one here is um, in verse 1, it says, Let those who have charge over the city draw near. Right? Let those who have charge over the city draw near. So this draw near is important because when the Bible speaks about drawing near, it takes me to James chapter 4 verse 8, right? When he says submit to God, but he also says, James, the apostle says, uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? He will draw near to you. But how do we draw near, right? How do we draw near, it's, it's through his word is how we draw near, right? We have to be intentional. And so uh, the first point here out of three is intentional. We have to be intentional to get into his word, right? Because his word is what changes and begins and to change and transform. And I want to go back a little bit to the, 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 where the men entered, right? They entered at the north gate. And it just made me think about the, the north, right? Up. And, and where... And, and the word first needs to come in through here, right? Through the mind. It's the northern part of our body. And as we digest it, it moves down into our hearts. And it's like a double-edged sword that begins to cleanse the temple. It begins to mark what's his and what's not his. And says, hey, this needs to go. Right? This needs to go. And when that happens, the second thing here to position ourselves is in verse uh, four, where it says, mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it, that are done within it. And, and this just makes me think of David, right? He makes me think of David. And so David, basically, when he uh, was sexually immoral with Bathsheba, right? Um, he didn't want to admit it. I mean, a long time past, he didn't want to admit it. But then Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and he says, hey, like, this is what's happening. He gives him advice and he says, that person that is being immoral and unjust is you. And what was David's response? He chopped his head off, right? I mean, he could have. He was a king, right? And like, what is my, my response sometimes when people come at me? I'm like, I'm going to come back at you, right? But, but no, David was full of the word, right? Of the word of God, of the spirit of God. And what happens is when he realizes and this comes to him, he has a broken heart. And, and, and we have to be of broken heart, broken of heart. We have to be broken of heart. So point number two is that we have to be broken of heart. And in Luke 19, um, 
with his broken of heart. That was Jesus' heart, right? He went all through Jerusalem, right? He went all through Jerusalem and all these other um, cities, towns, preaching the gospel, preaching the truth, being God, knowing that this is the truth, and people rejected him everywhere he went. People mocked him, right? People did uh, abominable things to him. But in Luke 19, specifically towards Jerusalem, it says that he looked, right? And when he looked at Jerusalem, he wept because they did not know the time because they, they, they didn't want to know him. Ultimately, it's saying that they rejected him. And, and when they rejected him, guys, he didn't allow pride to overcome him, but rather his heart was broken because he knew what was coming. His heart was broken because he knew what the end was. And so we see that we have to be a broken heart. We have the word of God in us. We're being intentional with that. Then we have to be a bro- broken of heart because that's who Jesus was and that's who he wants us to be. And then lastly is the last part, uh, verse 11. It says, I have done as you commanded me. So uh, not only do we have to be intentional with the word and be broken of heart, but we also have to be about his work right? We also have to be about his work. And so um, being about his work, and it's not just serving, right, in church or, or, or doing whatever, but we have to be about his work in such a way that we believe the work that he's doing in us, right? What do I, what do I mean by that? The Lord gives you an opportunity or something, you take it, and then you realize, I don't like this. This is difficult. This takes me out of my comfort zone, right? And so do we quit? Do we quit? No. Why? Well, first of all, you should have sought the Lord, right, about it. But, but secondly, we don't quit because we have to be sure that he's going to continue the work that he's doing in us. And in that moment, in that season, it's through wherever he has us, right? Wherever he has us. We're not moved by feelings. We're not moved by emotions, but rather we're moved by the spirit of God who lives in us. And um, it's like Paul says in Philippians chapter one, verse 21, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? And that's how we should live every single time. And I want to end with this verse. If you go with me to John 17, John 17 is where we're going to end here. Because this is Jesus, ultimately, again. I always like to use Jesus as an example. One, because he's radical with what he says. And it's, it's pretty awesome when he, when he goes out on the Pharisees. I always say, well, mic drop. I have nothing else to say. But in verse 4 of chapter 17 in John, John says, is basically Jesus' words. And, and he's saying that he glorified the Son and all these things. and He glorified the Father and, and all this stuff. And then in verse 4, he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And you know what happened after this? He went to the cross. Transformational transformational when we're intentional when we're intentional when we're broken of heart and finally when we're about his work we have this heart we have this heart where this this transformation is done 
basically going through all the cities and the towns and preaching and, and, and these disciples and, and everybody else and miracles. But I know you have something else, but I have glorified you in this season and I'm ready for the next because that's what's going to be transformational when we allow the Lord to transform us in that season so that his presence can take us to the next. Because guys, if, if, if you're here, you've been in the Lord for a while or not, and you think, wow, I, I, I know the Lord, he has another level for you. He has something else for you. And he wants to take you to that next level. We have to be intentional about it. We have to be broken of heart. And ultimately, we have to be about his work. And be like Jesus, he said, it is finished. But then he went to the cross, which was the next phase, the next transformation that was going to happen. And I don't know about you guys, but it was, it was a transformation. Not only for him, but for all the nations, right? Because all the nations became included. And so with Israel, he was heading there. Years on the road. But also we can take that as a learning lesson that with us, it's the same thing. He's heading somewhere, and it's not the end. He's got more for us. So let's be transformed that he may be, make us, or through us, be transformed national. national. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us because you're a graceful and loving God that you don't just leave us where we're at, but rather you take us and you do something with us. You transform us. If we're honest with ourselves, we can never say that life with you is boring. When life gets boring or, or redundant, it's because we're, we're looking to ourselves, Lord, not to you. Lord, you want to take us to the next phase, to the next level, to a, a greater intimacy with you. And so, Lord, I just pray that we don't allow our hearts to get to a point where you have to come in and slain, that you have to come in and, 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 and just completely, utterly destroy. But rather, Lord, I pray that as you take us by the hand, like a child, Lord, because we are your children, that we allow ourselves to be taught by you, that we allow our hearts to, 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 be, to be transformed. And Lord, that, that through that, through our broke, broken hearts, Lord, you may change nations. Pride does not change nations. Pride does not change people. Rather, your grace and your love in truth, Lord. And Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. And Lord, he meant it. So I just pray that as we continue to live this life and walk in this life, that we may just hold on to that tightly, Lord. Being intentional, Lord. Being broken of heart and being about your work, Lord. Because that's a heart that says, know me. Know me intimately. Let that be us, Lord in our walk with you. In your mighty and powerful and amazing name, we pray, amen.